We turn this morning to John chapter 18. Next Sunday is Palm Sunday, and then we come to Easter. And so our plan had been to turn to the Gospel of John to see the hope of the resurrection, which means next Sunday, Palm Sunday, we would have been looking at the death of Jesus. And today would have been a, a missions Sunday where we had a preacher. And so what, all we've done is we've stepped back to just go one more section of, of the end of the Gospel of John. So turn with me this morning to John chapter 18. I'll begin reading at verse 33. We live in a world filled with chaos and uncertainty. Perhaps it's now more noticeable than ever, although I don't think the facts have really changed. We've never really been in ultimate control. We've always been people who are absolutely dependent upon God and his love shown to us in Jesus. But we have new roles as, as, we, as we wrestle through the quarantine of educators, as neighbors, of providing new ways to work. Some of us struggle with the loss of job, the loss of employment, the uncertainty that's facing us. We have fears about sickness, fears caused by our isolation. But we also have the ongoing struggles of life. Earlier this week, I spent time with my mom in a hospice facility. And as I was sitting with her, providing care to her, and we're really, as a family, thankful for the care that you as a church have shown to us, to my mom and to my dad. But as I sat with mom earlier this week in the hospice facility, I, I heard a, a, a muffled conversation taking place in the hallway. Through tears, you could tell it was a, a man's voice, but, but he said, I, I know. I know we're at the end. Let's just try and make her as comfortable as we can. See, that's the kind of difficult conversation that takes place during any ordinary week. The kind of difficult conversations you've had to deal with. And so where is God in all of this? Does God care or has he stepped off the stage and, and washed his hands of this mess? And so as we turn to John chapter 18, and I begin reading at verse 33, we see the power of Jesus on display in his humiliation, in his willingness to be tried by a court that, that doesn't really have authority over him, to submit himself to a judgment that is wrong. And so as we turn to John chapter 18, I'm going to begin at verse 33. We, we, we need to set the stage, though, because I've just thrown you here into the gospel. We're near the very end of John's gospel, the, the last days of Jesus's life. Jesus was betrayed by Judas, arrested in the garden, taken in a trial before the religious leaders, and now sent to Pilate, the Roman governor, so that the sentence of execution can be handed over. And so listen as I read the word of God, as we see the authority and kingdom and power of Jesus even in his arrest and trial. This is John chapter 18, beginning at verse 33, and I'll read into chapter 19. John 18, 33. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. 
Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth? Pilate asked. With this, he went out again to the Jews and said, I find no basis for a charge against him, but it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in a rebellion. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing a robe, wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jews insisted, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid, and he went back inside the palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus. But Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said. Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jews kept shouting, If you let this man go free, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at the place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of Passover week, about the sixth hour. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. Let me pray that God would apply his reading of the word and that the preaching of the word would challenge our hearts today. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for your gospel message, for the good news announced to us that Jesus has come down from heaven, that Jesus, the true and righteous and perfect king, willingly gave his life. Father, I pray in our moments of, of hopelessness and helplessness that we would find hope in your word, that we would see the power and the kingdom and the authority of Jesus, our Savior. So Father in heaven, we come praying in Jesus' name, Amen. How can you believe there's a God in a time of suffering like this? That was a question asked of a Christian woman, a nurse, who serves in a hospital at the front lines of dealing with, with patients impacted by the virus. Asked of her by a doctor. 
It was posted on Facebook. You, many of you remember Peter and Cedar Wong. He's now a pastor in North Jersey. He arrived here at Faith in 2002, the same time that my wife and I did. And Cedar, serving as a nurse, was asked that question. And responding in Gospel Hope, Peter and Cedar shared on Facebook a a, a glimpse of, of the way in which they might provide an answer. Admittedly, they say that, that, that any answer we give to those big questions is only partial. And so even as we look at God's word today, we realize that the answers we find here only, only answer some of our questions. But in Jesus himself, we have the fullness of an answer. The, the Wongs, in, in pressing that question in, though, realized that, that the, the solution isn't more ventilators. It's not more tests. The solution isn't more medical equipment, although every one of those things would be helpful, tools, as we fight the spread of infection. But, but what a, a moment like this forces all of us to do is wrestle with those big questions. Why? Why is this happening? How long? How long will this last? What's next? Not just in the immediate moments, but in the future. What's next in my own life? So we're going to turn here to the word of God to find comfort. Because in Jesus, we have true and lasting and living hope. Because in this passage, we'll see Jesus's kingdom, Jesus's power, and Jesus's mission. And so, so let's look first at this first round of questioning when Jesus is brought before the Roman governor. We'll see that Jesus's kingdom covers all. Notice in, in verse 33 what, what Pilate says when Jesus is before him. Jesus, the, the condemned prisoner, who has already been, been pushed through a, a mockery of a trial before the religious leaders, but they need Pilate's help in order to bring about the judgment that they demand, a judgment of death upon Jesus. And so Jesus is, is brought before Pilate. Perhaps the Jewish leaders thought that all, all he was going to do is, was send them on their way to the crucifixion, but, but he wants to question Jesus. And so the Roman governor asks him in verse 33 of John 18, are you the king of the Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? And you can feel the weight of the question if, you have, if you've been reading with John through his gospel. Pilate just means it in a, in a simple political or military sense, but, but John means it with the full weight of the Old Testament revelation, announcing that the king of God's people is here. And so Pilate asks, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus responds, trying to ferret out the depth of Pilate's question in verse 34. Is that your own idea, or did others talk to you about me? And then with, with a dismissive wave of his hand, we can, we can almost see Pilate in verse 35 saying incredulously, am I a Jew? He's, he's essentially saying, why in the world would I care who the king of the Jews is? Why does that matter to me? This Jewish kingdom is nothing. It's a vassal kingdom under the power and authority and the occupation of the great emperor in Rome. What does it matter who the Jewish king is? And even by the time that John wrote this gospel, a, a, a couple of decades after the life of Jesus, that's a, a historical question that would, would seem almost trivial and unimportant. Does it really matter to us who was the king in Judea during the year AD 30? Well, no. Pilate it thinks that that question doesn't matter at all. 
But in Jesus' answer to him, we realize that Jesus' kingdom covers all. It matters to every one of us. Because you might still think, what does this have to do with me? Maybe a friend has shared this link with you. And you're listening because you're asking those same big questions. Where is God in all of this? And you see, every one of us, whatever our view of the world is, needs to be able to answer that question. And as Christians, we admit that the things that we see now are not the way the world is supposed to be. That because of our sin, the world is broken. Because we rebelled against God, we face the, the, the pain of living in a world that doesn't function perfectly. But as Christians, we admit that this world is not the way that it should be, but God is doing something about it. But see, in your view of the world, if you don't include God, then maybe this just is all that there is. That tragically, this just weeds out the weak among us, and human life at at that level would have no meaning or value. And yet, instinctively, every one of us knows that our neighbors' lives have value, that they deserve to be cared for and protected. We, as a culture, as a society, as the human race, are responding in ways that, that I've never seen in my lifetime, perhaps you've never seen in your lifetime, maybe we've never seen in human history, where we are trying to protect and care for our neighbors. But see, that makes sense to us from a view in the world where people matter and have value because they are made by God. And so does your view of the world explain the, 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 the frustration, the anger you have against, against a virus that seems to be so destructive and without purpose? See, all throughout this passage, we see God's providential control, God in absolute control. Jesus is, yes, the chained and condemned prisoner. Jesus is the one who will be beaten and sent to a cross. But Jesus is the one whose whose power and authority, whose kingdom extends to all. Because that language of kingdom, when, when, when Pilate asks, are you a king? He's really asking in a political sense, in a military sense. Do you pose any threat to my armies here? Am I going to have to quash a rebellion here on the outskirts of the empire? Is this going to derail my own career, my own chance of advancing closer to the Roman capital, closer to the, 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 the hierarchies of power? And Jesus says, no, 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 it's not that kind of kingdom. If it were, if, if my kingdom was like that, verse 36, then my servants would be fighting now. And Jesus was the one who made Peter put the sword down in the garden. Jesus was the one who willingly let himself be taken. Jesus was the one who announced his own presence in the garden when the the crowds came to arrest him. See, when Jesus speaks of a kingdom, he's not speaking of a place on a map. In, in my, one of my children's bedrooms, we have a, a map. It's a, it's a fictional map from a, from a, a, a series of books. And, and you can see the different kingdoms on this map. And maybe that's what your picture of God's kingdom is like. That there's a place on the map that is the kingdom of Jesus. He speaks of it in the other gospels as the kingdom of God or, or the kingdom of heaven. And you think of it as a, as a place, but it's much more dynamic than that, the way Jesus speaks of it. We see it even here. When Jesus says, yes, I am a king, but my kingdom is, is, is not a place that you go to. It's not a castle that I hide in. My kingdom is a dynamic power and authority at work in the lives of people everywhere. See, Jesus' kingdom covers all. When Pilate wants to dismiss it and say, am I a Jew? Does this even matter to me? Jesus' answer is, yes, this matters to you. Verse 37, you are right in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, this is why I came into the world. And everyone who is on the side of truth, everyone 
needs to listen to me. That's the claim Jesus is making about his kingdom and his authority. He is a king who has come from God to exercise his authority over all. And so Pilate, frustrated in verse 38, then throws out this dismissive question, what is truth? Now ask in a meaningful way, that could be a profound question. A question each one of us really needs to answer, but, but here for Pilate, it, it's dismissive because you see immediately he, he walks away. Like an arrogant first-year philosophy student who wants to end the conversation, well, what is truth anyway? And then just walks out the door and slams it behind him. A curt and dismissive response to the king of the universe. Because the claims of this king impact even this governor, even Pilate himself. And so Pilate announces that he has no basis for a charge against Jesus, and so is giving the people a chance to let Jesus go free, for justice to to really happen. But the people demand that Barabbas be let go. So as we turn the page to John 19, we find Pilate then taking Jesus and having him flogged taking a whip across the back, across the body of Jesus to, to expose his flesh. Pilate is trying to show that, that, that Jesus is nothing. Pilate is the only character who appears in every scene in this story, and yet it's clear the way, the way that John has construed this true account of Jesus' life, that Jesus is the real center of this story. That even as Jesus is, is off screen, is off stage, Jesus is the one who is at the center of the story. Yes, the Jewish leaders come to Pilate because they need his help to carry out a death sentence. And Pilate's name is is now remembered. You know his full name, Pontius Pilate. If we were to ask the question family feud style, we asked 100 people to name a Roman governor, his name would be at the top of the list because we wouldn't be able to think of any others at all. His name inscribed in our creeds, And yet because of his cowardice, his foolishness, because Jesus' power conquers all. Jesus is the one who stands in the position of authority. Jesus is the one who is controlling the course of events. Even as he is handed over to be beaten, it is by the plan and purpose of God. See, when the world seems so out of control, we can see in it the mercy of God because God has not abandoned us. He has not stepped off the stage and said, I'm done with it. God is right here with us. Jesus in our midst. Jesus, the one with all power. We see when, when Pilate brings Jesus back in, Pilate's frustration begins to boil. Because when he asks him in verse 10, why Jesus is now refusing to speak, a, a silence that is picked up in, in the gospel of Mark as well. Jesus' initial refusal to answer foolish questions. But Pilate, in, in chapter, nine of John, chapter 19 of John, verse 10, says to Jesus, Do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? See, Pilate, in his frustration, thinks he's the one controlling the circumstances. And yes, in a technical sense, he is the one with the power to free Jesus, but he hasn't been willing to do that. He finds no basis for Jesus. He has conducted the trial and finds Jesus to be innocent. Jesus is the one with power, and that's exactly what he says. Jesus' power conquers all. Look again at John 19, verse 11, where Jesus answered, You would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. 
Jesus is saying, all the power that you have, Pilate, is derivative power. It's secondary power. It's a power given to you by God in heaven. A power that Jesus is saying, I have willingly given to you to carry out the purposes for which God has sent me. Because Pilate, throughout this passage, is shown to be incompetent and weak. A moral failure. A man who says repeatedly he finds no basis for a charge against Jesus. We've already read it back in chapter 18, verse 38, when he announces, I find no basis for a charge against him. Again, in chapter 19, verse 4, once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. And then in chapter 19, verse 12, we we hear it again. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. Pilate, the man at the pinnacle of power here in the province of Judea, is powerless to let Jesus go free. Because he's afraid of what's happening. Verse 8 tells us that when they bring the charge that Jesus has claimed to be the Son of God, there's probably some superstition of the the idea that a God could come down to earth in the Roman Empire. And so there's some fear in verse 8, but the greater fear is not the fear of Jesus, it's the fear of the Jewish religious leaders. Because they, when they're not getting their way, they continue to push. They demand for the release of Barabbas. They demand for the crucifixion of Jesus. And then when, when Pilate still is trying to find a way to set Jesus free, They bring out their trump card. They say, anyone, verse 12, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. I mean, these words drip with irony. The Jewish religious leaders who have been spending their lives trying to get out from under the control of the Roman emperor are now declaring their allegiance to the emperor. They say in verse 15, we have no king but Caesar. They say to a Roman governor, we are more loyal to Caesar than we are to God. And they demand that he prove his loyalty by killing Jesus. See, the threat is clear. It's implicit, but it's clear. If Pilate won't go along with them, then they will revolt. And Pilate stands to lose everything. All of his power could be taken from him by a mere word from the emperor. His own life could be at risk if if a violent revolution takes place under his watch. And so Pilate, the one who claims to have the power to free Jesus, cannot do it because he is powerless. He is afraid of losing the little grip he has on power. So in fear of losing his power, he's unwilling to use his power. I mean, it's a foolishness. And yet it's the same way you and I try and use power, try and cling to control. I heard another pastor say this week that that it's not so much that we've been shown to have lost control in recent weeks. It's just been exposed that we never really had control in the first place. And yet in fear, many of us are are doing all that we can. And there there are good and right ways to care for neighbors by purposefully isolating But as we watch our our bank accounts dwindle, as we watch our job teeter on the edge, we wonder, what will I do next? As we think about our health and our lives, we worry about what will come. As we pile worries upon today about what will happen tomorrow, 
because we think we can control it. And so we cling to control, and the foolishness is we never really had it in the first place. But don't you see the good news here in John is that Jesus' power conquers all. He truly is in absolute control. Even when it appears he is helpless, being beaten, his flesh exposed, Jesus is proving he is the suffering servant, the king sent by God. Even when condemned to death, because Pilate finally then just says, all right, finally he hands Jesus over to be crucified. And so even the chaos of these previous weeks, the spread of a virus has not happened outside of God's sovereign control, God's sovereign power, God's loving care. God still loves us. He has proven his love to us. He has shown us what it looks like to endure in the face of suffering because he sent Jesus to be our king, our rescuer. And so you and I can have hope hope not just for today, but a hope for tomorrow, a hope for eternity because of who Jesus is. But in some ways, I also want to challenge us as a church to use the power that we do have, not to protect ourselves, but for the genuine good of others. Pilate uses his power only to protect himself. Multiple times he declares Jesus to be innocent, which should be the end of the story. Jesus should be released, but he fears losing power. And yet you and I, you might not feel like it, but you and I have glimpses of power. We have money to share with others. We have time to give to others. We have the resources of gospel, hope, and encouragement to share with others. Use what God has given you for the love of your neighbor, for the good of your neighbor, to serve those in greatest need. It's because Jesus is kingdom. It covers all of us. Jesus' power conquers every one of us. And Jesus' mission, it extends to each of us. It extends everywhere. In this passage, we have with clarity the reason why Jesus came. We've read it again and again, this language of kingdom. Here is your king. Jesus explicitly declares himself to be a king. He says, yes, that he is the true king. Back in verses 36 and 37 of chapter 18, he explained why he had come. In verse 37, Jesus answers Pilate, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born. And for this reason, I came into the world to testify to the truth. Jesus is telling us, is telling Pilate, is telling everyone who reads the gospel and hears it announced that this was the very reason that he came to earth to announce the truth of God's forgiveness, to announce the truth of God's arrival, to announce the authority of his own kingdom here on earth. Jesus is declaring to us his very purpose. See, John's gospel began not with an infancy narrative, not with the birth of Jesus, but his birth is explained here. Why was he born? He was born for this moment, for this trial, for a crucifixion. And even in the mocking words of the people throughout this passage, the religious leaders who demand his death, uh, an an unrighteous governor who, who colludes in his death, we have announcements of gospel hope that Jesus's mission extends to us all. When when the beaten and bloodied and broken body of Jesus is put on display. Pilate is is mocking Jesus. 
He's mocking the religious leaders as well by saying, this is the man you are afraid of? This king in a robe with a crown of thorns, this man who is so weak because of our beating on him, he can do nothing to you. And yet in the gospel, we have the announcement in verse 5 of chapter 19. When Pilate brings out Jesus wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, here is the man. Now, Pilate means that, like, here's a weak and beaten and bloody man who can do nothing to harm you. What have you to fear? Just let him go. But do but you see what John is announcing to us? The, the truth of the gospel message, here is the man. The word that has been made flesh. The, the God of the universe dwelling with us. It's pregnant with gospel hope for us that the king is here. His mission is being fulfilled. Even as the, the, the crowd declares him to be the king, Pilate in dis, dismissal of Jesus says, are you the king of the Jews? The, the soldiers mock Jesus, hail the king of the Jews. But then there is the moment at the end of the passage, chapter 19, verse 14. When we have Pilate bring Jesus out, and the way that he says it again, it's a mocking tone. Here is your king. But John presents it as a coronation. The arrival of God's own son to die in the place of sinners. And so you and I hear it not with the mocking tone of Pilate, but with the gospel hope of God's announcement. Here is your king. The king of the universe here for you. See, will you put your trust in the one who gave up apparent control for your good? Will you put your trust in the, the son of God, the savior of the universe? Here is your king, Jesus, beaten and bloodied for you. Jesus, crucified for you. Confess your sins. Announce your failures to God. Put your trust in in him. He has proven his love for us. Now in recent days, as we've, as we've gathered around my mom's bedside, as we anticipate we're in the final days or weeks of her life, it's given us as a family opportunity to share stories, memories. And as we sat this week, it, it prompted a memory from my dad. When he was a policeman, he was called to a scene an elderly woman was there with her husband who was in clear and obvious distress, e either dead or at the point of death. And my dad called as the sergeant to the scene arrived when, when the other emergency medical professionals were already there, other policemen, patrolmen already on the scene. And so my dad it, walks into the room and the, the woman is, is, is laying prostrate over her husband, keeping them from him. She doesn't want them to take her husband away. Now the Officers that are there don't want to have to fight or battle with a, a frail woman, knowing that, that there's little that can be done for her husband. And so they've called the sergeant. And so my dad sends the others out of the room. He sends them back on patrol duty, and he, says, and he, and, and he sits down on the floor. He just sits next to her. And she says with, with surprise, I know what you're doing. With suspicion, she says, you're trying to distract me. They're going to run in and take him away from me. My dad said, no, I'll sit and protect him with you. And I'll sit as long as it takes. She said, but I don't trust you. He said, but I'll stay. I won't let anything happen until you're ready for it. 
until you can trust me. He asked her, how long do you think this will take? I don't know, she answered. We'll have to wait and see. And so my dad sat on the floor with her for several hours until finally she saw that the, the, the first responders had come to, to her aid, to help her, to help her husband. See, but God doesn't merely sit down next to us in the midst of our mess. He has proven his love to us by coming down from heaven, sent from heaven for our good, our Savior, our King, here for us. His power and authority on display, even in his trial, even in his beating, even in his death. A death in my place, in your place. Will you put your trust in him? Do you hear this gospel announcement? Here is your king. Let me pray that God would apply his word to our lives today. Father in heaven, we thank you for the power of the gospel, for the clarity of your word, for the truthfulness of, of what you have announced to us. Father, we ask that you would apply this gospel message to our hearts as we come with big questions, with questions about why and how long. Lord, I pray that we would find not merely cognitive answers, but a personal answer in the arrival of Jesus, our Savior, the King willing to die for us, the one who uses his power to become apparently powerless, but conquering sin and death, conquering our rebellion in his own sacrifice on the cross. Father, for those that have listened today or, or who will listen in coming days, Lord, I pray that they would respond with faith, with trust in the power of your word. We are a people desperate for truth, desperate for hope. And so make us a church that is filled with joy, filled with compassion, meeting the needs of our neighbors, announcing good news here is our King. We come today to bow our knees before Jesus Christ, our Savior and King. Amen.